James 1, and um, we're going to start in verse 22. Amen? Verse 22, it says, but be ye doers of the word. Hello, somebody. Wish someone had an ear to hear. And not hearers only. Deceiving who? Deceiving who? You're not deceiving your neighbor. You're not deceiving your parents. You're deceiving yourself. And notice it says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his nature in, the, in, in his natural face in the mirror. In verse 24, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. In verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is the word of God, and continues in it and is not a forgetful hero, but a doer, hello somebody, of the work, this one will be blessed in whatever he does. Amen? Now let's look at James chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 17. James chapter 2, verse 17. We're going to have a good time tonight. It says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now let's look at verse 26. It says, For as the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without works is, is what? Is dead. Now, if you're taking notes tonight, the title of my message is do something. Look at your neighbor and say, do something. Look at your other neighbor, get a little bit, get a little beast mode on him and say, do something. Grown man, get grown man with it and say, do something. So the title of my message is do something. Just do something, anything. You know, and thinking about this message and thinking about where our church is right now. Wow, I didn't even say anything yet. And they're already ready. You guys are ready tonight. Thinking about where our church is, where this group is, is we're stepping into the greatest season of harvest for this church, for this group, ever. And you know what? We can keep talking about change. And we can keep talking about the harvest, which is awesome. We need to. Because if you really got faith, you're going to speak it. And that's, that's right, and that's true. But there's another part to it. You can't just have faith in your mouth. You have to have faith in your actions. And so we're saying, God, send the harvest, but we're not willing to go get the harvest. And God's saying, if you really have faith, you're not just going to be in your mouth and in your heart. It's going to be in your actions. You're going to actually do something about it. And it's time to do something. It's time to stop talking about change and start being the change we want to see. Because we can talk all day about change. The government talks about change constantly. And they're getting nothing done in Washington, D.C., if you've not noticed that. Because they just talk about change. They don't actually change themselves. And so we can talk all day about change. But unless we actually step out and do something, our faith is dead. Notice this. God is moving. God is moving. You can't stop it, but you can miss it. God is moving on this planet right now. I don't know if you realize the magnitude of it. And you cannot stop it, but you can sure miss it. And there's a lot of people missing it. 
Why? Because they choose to stay seated. They choose to stay in the background and not do anything. And you know what? Hearers of the word don't get anything. Doers of the word they hear. That's who gets the results. You know, recently, I posted this on my Facebook, but all around the planet right now, there is there's so much going on in the body of Christ. You don't realize sometimes you can get so narrow-minded into your just church, into southern Indiana, and think that that is all there is on the planet. There is so much going on that sometimes we don't know anything about. There is millions and millions and millions of believers around the world doing amazing things. But sometimes we don't see it every day on the news. But God is moving. You know, recently Hillsong United just did a, a tour through the whole United States. They sold out every arena. We're talking about the Staples Center in L.A. where the Lakers play. We're talking about the biggest arenas in the United States and around the world. They were selling it out. Some, some pop stars can't even sell out arenas like that. But God is up to something. God is up to something, but we can miss it. If we decide to just sit down and not do anything with what we're hearing, because sometimes we get tricked, especially if you've been in church a while, like myself and a lot of you in here, you get tricked into thinking just because you hear the word that that equals doing the word. And just because you heard a good sermon about the harvest and things changing, that it's going to happen. But you've got to do something with what you hear. Let's let's look back here. At James one twenty two. Let's read this again. Are you guys ready for me tonight? I don't know if you guys are ready. I love each and every one of you. I just got to talk real talk tonight. James 1, it says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. Uh, if I could give you a number of people I've seen at this church who the only person they're deceiving is themselves. They sit in every service, but they don't do anything they hear. And they're deceiving only one person themselves. Everybody in the rest of the church can tell us, why do you come to church? You don't get anything. You don't do anything with what you hear. Why waste two hours of your life and come to church? I'd rather go swimming or play golf or something. Go get some food. Don't waste your time coming to church if you're not going to do anything you hear. There's no point. There's no point. I got to be honest and say, if I wasn't going to do anything I heard, I wouldn't come to church either. There's no point. You're wasting your time. I go do something fun with my life. I go play golf or something, basketball. Go to Puerto Vallarta. My God, get the Ishmael special. Come on. But we got to do something with the word that we hear. So it's not enough to just say we need to change or we need the harvest. We need to do something with that word. You know, I posted this video too. Jesus Culture just had a huge conference in Chicago when we were at camp. And Jesus Culture, they, they were there in Chicago at Allstate Arena, 20,000-plus youth and young adults. There was Hillsong United was there, a bunch of generals in the faith like Reinhard Bonnke and people like that were at this meeting, 20,000-plus young adults. And I love this. They're, uh, the pastor of Jesus Culture, his name is Pastor Banning, and he said, he got up there, and it was after a time of worship, and he said, you know, a lot of people are saying that the youth and young adults of the United States doesn't care. They're lazy. They're apathetic. They don't care about Jesus. They don't care about the church. They don't care about their friends that need, need to know the truth. They don't care. They're lazy. No one cares. And I love that Pastor Benny said, all I got to say to those people is you're hanging around the wrong people. 
And as, of course, as soon as he said that, 20,000 plus youth and young adults let out a shout. Why? Because God is moving. I don't know if you know this. God is moving. 20, you don't get 20,000 plus youth and young adults with the play with it service. God is doing something supernatural. But you, you can't stop it, but you can miss it. And that's the scary part because I've seen people miss it. I've seen people strategically, God place them in the right church with the right people and miss it. So lest we start ever getting cocky and arrogant like we've arrived, we don't need to ever forget where we have come from. And then guess what? You know what? We are not exempt from making mistakes and missing it. That's why we always need to be careful. Like, I love Dr. Summerall used to always say this. When he was 80-some years old, he said, God, whatever you're doing on the planet, I want to be in on it. I don't care if you're going with the Presbyterians, the Catholics, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Baptists. Whoever you're moving with, I want to go with it. Whoever you're moving with, I got to be in on it. That has to be our heart. Whatever you're doing, God, I, I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. I don't know everything. You know what? God has always wanted to do something new, but we got to be aware of it. I love this. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Now let's look over at chapter 2. Chapter 2 again. It says, verse 17, Thus also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. In verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You know what he's trying to say here in, in context of what he's talking about is, it's, he's talking about a Christian. Hello, somebody. He's talking about a Christian here who walks around people who need help every day and does nothing about it. And he says, if that Christian says he has faith and doesn't have any actions to help that person, his faith is dead. It's bogus. It's not a real faith. Because faith cannot just be in your mouth and in your heart. It's got to be in your actions. And I love this. James just calls it out. He says, if you see hurting people around you all the time, not just physically in need of health or money, but the most important thing, they need Jesus. And they're hurting, and you walk by them every day and do nothing, your faith is bogus. You come into church and say, I got faith in Jesus, and I don't help my neighbor who needs help. He says, your faith is dead. Because faith can't be just in your heart and in your mouth. It's got to be in your actions. If it's real faith. Now, that's the key, if it's real faith. So we got to realize here, are we just being a hearer of the word? Are we being a doer? Is our faith legitimate or is it fake? Because if it was real, we would do something. If your faith is real, you would do something. Nobody would have to tell you to do something. You would be doing something already. And then what I'm preaching to you is already bearing witness with you because you're already doing something. But if your faith is real, you're going to be doing something. You know, I've heard this before, you know, it's when my season, when my season comes about, when, when all my ducks get in a row, when I feel like God's calling me out, then I'll step out and do something. Guess what? You're going to be waiting the rest of your life because the enemy's going to put all kinds of junk and you're going to look back at your life when you're 70 or 80 and realize you did nothing with your life. 
Because the devil will always keep pushing that away. I'll do something when my season comes up. It's always your due season to do something. It's always a due season to do something. You need to realize this. This book right here, the word of God, is the will of God. And you know, a lot of people say, you know, I just need to be in the will of God. I'm waiting to do the will of God. He gave you his will right here. Go ahead and do it. But they're, th- they're, th- they're thinking in their head, I want God to come down in a cloud of glory with angels around him and say, thus saith the Lord, you're going to Africa right now today. All expenses paid. You're going to live in a luxury hut and it's going to be awesome. And then we do something about it. But you know what? A lot of times that's not happening, but he gave you his word, which is his will. And how many know until you actually do this will, he's probably not going to speak to you like that. Because if you can't even obey the first instruction, why would he tell you something else that you can't do it? But see, I'm just stirred up because it's harvest time and I'm just trying to do something. I'm not just trying to stay in average mediocre church who just has the same people year after year and they're depressed and they're sick and they don't do anything. And then they live and die and their existence meant nothing because they affected no one but themselves. That is not the Christian life. That is not what the Word of God says. And I'm not going to be satisfied until I see something different than that. Because the Word of God says there's so much more than what we're experiencing. Are you here tonight? So number one, if we want to do something, don't miss your opportunity. John 4 and 34 and 35 Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Verse 35, this is a key here. It says, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. But behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Jesus said, don't don't say there's still four months. There's more time. I need to wait another season until I step up. No, he said, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. That means the field is already ripe. It's ready to be picked. It's ready to go right now. We don't need to wait four months. Right now is the time to do something. So number one, if we want to do something, we can't miss opportunity. This is an attitude a lot of believers get, which Jesus just dealt with. One day, I'll do something. When my season happens, I'll do something. Even the disciples were saying, four months from now, I'm going to do something. But Jesus said, behold, look, right now, the field is ready for harvest. You know, when a field is white like that, it said the fields are white or, the, or they're ripe. When a field is white, white like that, it says, that means it is so ready to be picked. If it does not get picked very soon, the whole harvest will be ruined. Hello, somebody. That means if the harvest is not picked when it's white, what Jesus just said it was, if it's not picked immediately, the whole harvest field could be ruined. The whole harvest field could be ruined. And if we miss our opportunity, the harvest that is white right now and ripe, if we miss it, we could lose the harvest. Why? Because we don't see the opportunities. Notice the disciples didn't see it. And Jesus had to say, hey, look now, right now, not four months from now, but right now you need to do something about it because they are white for harvest. 
You know, that's that's a divine word for our church and our youth group. The harvest is white, is ready right now. Not four months from now, not a couple years from now. Right now is the time to do something. And if we keep waiting to do something, we could lose the harvest. Why? Because we miss our opportunities. Don't miss opportunities. You know, something from the scripture that, that I was thinking about is we don't see the opportunities. And I love Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look. Lift up your eyes and look. So apparently the disciples were not looking at the opportunities ahead of them. And a lot of us, we would get in that rut and not look and see the opportunities that are with us every day because we're so used to seeing them. And Jesus had to say, hey, get your eyes up and look at the fields because they're ready right now. And really one thing out of this verse that I wanted to take is you need to pray, myself included. I've been praying this. Father, give me eyes to see the opportunities in my everyday life. There is divine opportunities and divine appointments for your life every day that God is setting up for you to do something with, but a lot of us don't see it. A lot of us don't see it. And we're over here complaining, God sent some people into my life. He's sending all kinds of people, but we don't see it. I'll give you an example. You're over there in class with somebody, and they're saying, man, my leg is killing me. It's, it's killing me. Oh, it, it's excruciating pain. Do you have any medicine I could, I could borrow? And you give them some medicine. Man, I just, my knee will not get better. And you over there don't see it whatsoever. God is trying to give you an opportunity to pray for somebody. And you're over there saying, oh, man, I hope they go to the nurse sometime sooner, get some medicine, and stop bugging me about this. God is trying to divinely set you up with an opportunity, and we don't see it. We over here complaining, God sends people in my life so I can pray healing over them. They were just in your life, and you just sent them to the nurse's office. Hello. It's like the person, I've been, in, been there. I know some of you have been in there. We've been praying, and God has brought that person across your path. You'll be sitting with him and be like, I don't have any peace in my life. Is there a God? I want to know God. You don't say a word to him. And then later on in your prayer time, God, I just wish, you know, there'd be lost people around me. You'd send some lost people for me to minister to. You're missing the opportunity. I don't know about you. I've been there. I've had people just right in my lap here saying, I need God. Can I come to your church? And you're just like, hey, awesome. You, you want to go to coffee? Get some coffee? Cool. And totally miss the opportunity. I don't know about you. I've been there before. But that's that's a deception of the enemy to not let you see those divine opportunities that are in our lives every day. Every day. There is divine opportunities for us to minister to people, to do something. But you know what? A lot of times it just looks like something that we see every day. So we're so used to it, we don't even see it, we don't even hear it, we're not, we're not even paying attention. So we need to pray, God, give me eyes to see the opportunities in my everyday life. I tell you, when you really get eyes to see, you're going to have so many opportunities in your day, you're not going to know what to do with them because God is going to be sending people across your path that you can do something about it. We say we want the harvest, he's going to send them to you. But if you don't see it, you'll miss it. And number two, Number two, everybody still here? Number two, if we want to do something, we cannot become discouraged. You know, once you start stepping out and doing something for God, guess what? The enemy is going to try to send discouragement 
to get you to stop doing something. And usually that comes immediately. You know, in the Word of God, the Apostle Paul said, there is a wide open door of opportunity for me, but there's many adversaries. That means God has opened a lot of opportunities with me, but he's aware, guess what? When I walk through that door, there's going to be a lot of enemies trying to discourage me from walking through that door. So you need to realize, if you're going to do something for God, the enemy is going to try to make you discouraged. He's tried to get a slam as many doors in your face as possible. Why? Because he wants you to stop doing something. Because you know what? A lot of Christians don't do anything anyways. But the people that are actually trying to do something and make things happen, the enemy's going to use extra pressure to try to get you discouraged and to stop doing something. And so we, you need to realize once you step out, if people start persecuting you, hello, somebody, if some people cuss back at you when you're trying to help them out, if people make fun of you, don't become discouraged. Realize that's the enemy trying to discourage you from actually doing something. So we don't need to step back because that's it. the enemy's going to try to do that. As soon as you step out, the enemy's going to try to send people in your life that are going to get you discouraged from, what, from when you just stepped out. Notice this. I, I've seen this in my own life. Most of the most intense persecution or the most discouragement has come before your biggest breakthroughs. So if you feel like you're getting hammered on every side and nobody at your school loves Jesus and everybody's making fun of you and there is door after door slamming in your face, guess what? The enemy's upset because your biggest breakthrough is about to happen. And that's not just good preacher talk. That's the truth. Because you don't know after you've been persecuted a while, who's going to be in your life that's going to open up an amazing supernatural door. And you need to realize this, even if it's just for one person, it was worth it all. If you get a hundred doors slammed in your face and you get one person who listens to you, it was worth it all. It was worth those hundred doors. You need to realize this. In Galatians 6, Paul says, don't get weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You know, he said that on purpose. It was an encouragement. But realize he said, don't lose heart, don't quit. Meaning, you're probably going to want to. At some point in time, the enemy's going to try to discourage you, and you're going to want to quit. You're going to want to stop doing something with the word. You're going to want to stop witnessing. You're going to want to stop stepping out on God's word. But don't quit. For in due season, you're going to reap everything you've been sowing into. And that's a promise in the word of God. But he said that on purpose. That's an encouragement for us. That when you feel like quitting, don't quit. Don't give up. Because in due season, you're going to reap everything you've been sowing. You need to realize this. Just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we can't do something. Are you hearing me tonight? Just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we can't do something. That is a lie the enemy has sold to this generation. It's just because we can't do everything, we can't do the something we can do. And the enemy will even let you see the magnitude of the problem, like all the starving children in Africa, all the lost people around you, and get you so discouraged, you won't even do the thing you can do. But just because we can't do everything, we can do something. 
You know, just because we can't give water to everyone in Africa, we can do something. Just because we might not get to minister to every youth and young adults in this region doesn't mean we can't do something. And that is junk that the devil has sold to us just because we can't do everything. We need to do the something we can do. And if you realize if I do the something I can do and you do the something you can do, everything's going to get taken care of in the end. Because we're all in this together. See, if everybody had that idea in the body of Christ, nothing would get done. But if everybody decided, I can't do everything, but I can do something, everything that God has planned for this planet to happen is going to happen. But you've got to realize, don't get discouraged because you can't do everything, but you can do something. Don't let the devil tell you and make you think that you're insignificant, that your little part doesn't matter, that I'm too young and I'm too little to do anything, and, and anything I do is not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. And your part plus my part plus somebody else's part is going to make a difference. Every little part counts. You know, every revolution, every move on the planet always has started with one person. You know, that one person ministered to another person, ministered to another person, ministered to another person. Every person is important and vital in this. Not just me, not just D, not just Chad, not just Pastor Michael. No, we're all in this together and we're all important. And if dad does his part and Charlesi does his part and Lisa does her part and I do my part, everything that God has will get accomplished. But see, the sad thing is a lot of the church sits in the pews and thinks it's the preacher's job to do everything. No, we're all in this together. We all got something to do. So don't refuse to do the something you can do. I love this Brian Houston from Hillsong, which Hillsong is probably the most influential church in the entire planet. He said Hillsong Church or any great church, he said... It is not built on the gifts and talents of a few, but it is built on the sacrifices of many. Every great church, every great movement is not built on the, on the talents and gifts of a couple charismatic people who look cool and can speak well. No, it's built on the sacrifices of many. So you can have a bunch of really good-looking people who can talk well, but if there's not everybody doing their part in that church, that church is going nowhere. So you don't realize all that goes behind Hillsong Church, the sacrifices of many, the greeters, the nursery workers, the people who clean the toilets. The sacrifices of many is what makes a great church. And I think that is something that we probably lacked. That's why our church hasn't went where it's supposed to have been because we thought pastor is supposed to do everything, but my part doesn't matter. No, your part does matter. Everybody's part in here matters. And it matters what you do because it affects the whole body. What you do is significant. Don't let the devil tell you what I do is not significant. When you work in nursery, it's significant. When you clean the toilet, it's significant. When you park the cars, it's significant. When you do the sound, it's significant. And just because you're not up at the pulpit preaching doesn't mean your part is not just as important. I'm not going to be one of those people who says, just because I can't do everything, I'm not going to do the something I can do. 
You know, a lot of times people refuse to do that is because they see the big picture and they feel like what they're doing doesn't matter compared to the big picture. But you don't realize when everybody does their part, that's when the full picture comes into frame. I love this. Dr. Lester Summerall, he, uh, he told a story about John Osteen. Everybody know who John Osteen is? You know his son, Joel Osteen, the biggest church in the United States. But John Osteen, um, when Dr. Summerall was still alive, he, uh, he was being t- taken to a service at John Osteen's church. And, of course, at, at that time, John Osteen probably had about 10,000, 15,000 members. And right then... Uh, the driver was talking to Dr. Summerall, which was a bad move as it is. He was talking to Dr. Summerall about Pastor John Osteen, which was a very bad move. But anyways, he said to, uh, he said to Dr. Summerall, the guy who worked for John Osteen, which John Osteen was building right then like a 15,000-seat sanctuary. And the driver said to Dr. Lester Summerall, he said, you know, I don't know why Pastor John is building this 15,000-seat auditorium. He says, I know he acts like God told him to build it, but you know what? Jesus is going to come back soon. And you know what? We can use that money for some other stuff. And Dr. Summerall looked at him and said, God's going to be a lot more pleased coming back, seeing that John Osteen built half a building than Noah building at all. So whether Jesus came back or not and the building's half built, he's going to be a lot more pleased that you actually did something. Instead of just sitting on your hands and feet till Jesus came back. Hello, somebody. He's going to be a lot more pleased with a half-built building. Because at least he stepped out and did something. Whether it got finished or completed, that's not the point. At least he did something. You know, sometimes in our life, I know it's going to be true. Sometimes things in our life, maybe it's, we're not going to see the total fulfillment in our lifetime. It might be fulfilled in our children's destiny. It might be fulfilled in the next generation. But only God is looking at, did you do something with what I told you to do? Number three, if you want to do something, you're going to have to stop being indifferent. You know, this attitude is a lot, uh, really prevalent, especially in the body of Christ, is just kind of an attitude, I don't care. Like, I'm satisfied. I have my needs met. I have a good family. I really could care less what else happens with other people. And there's a lot of indifference in the body of Christ. A lot of that comes from we are so in the routine of seeing the same people at our jobs, at our schools, hearing the same things. We don't even see it anymore. We don't even see the the desperate state of our a fellow man. We don't even see it or hear it anymore because we drive down the same streets, talk to the same people, and we just become indifferent. That's dangerous to become indifferent. Jesus calls that lukewarm. And a lot of the church is lukewarm. They just don't care. They're not, they're not out sinning and doing a bunch of bad stuff, but they're just not doing anything. You know what? Not doing anything is just as bad as doing something. Hello, somebody. I'd rather at least somebody be going all the way out for the devil than just sitting in the church not doing anything. At least they've taken sides. 
You know what? That's the same attitude Jesus has, too. That's the same attitude Jesus has. Either serve him or serve the devil. Like, don't don't just come to church and just do whatever the heck you want. It's like, pick sides here. But that's where a lot of the body of Christ is, especially in the American church, because we are pampered and pet, and we live in luxury, and we live in abundance. And we don't see the need that other nations have when they're desperate for God. And we become indifferent. And we're wondering why places in Africa and Asia, there's like millions and billions of Christians and moves of God because they're desperate for God, unlike ourselves in America, who are satisfied. So this attitude of, you know, I really don't care. I'm kind of into me. A lot of people wouldn't say that, but that's the way they live. I'm kind of into myself. I'm kind of into serving myself. Guess what? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about everybody else who doesn't know Jesus. That's who it's about. It's about who everybody else who doesn't experience the same joy and peace that we wake up with every day of our lives. That's who it's about. It's not about me anymore. I love what the Apostle Paul said. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life, the life I now live in the flesh is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't no longer live anymore because it's not about me anymore. You need to realize this. The more you start caring about others, the more you'll be taking care of yourself. You know, the more I start thinking just all about myself, the more depressed, the more uh, sad I get, the more needy I get. But the more I start thinking about others and helping others, it's amazing that God takes care of my needs. And the world, the world thinks completely opposite for that. They think, I need to get all I can. I need to think about myself. I need to sit on the can. Because if I give, if I give to others, I won't have enough for myself. But God's way of doing things is the more you give, the more you receive. And the world thinks the more you receive, the more you won't have. But that's not true. The more you give out of yourself and stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about others, the more you're going to be taken care of. You know what? I don't even think about any need in my life whatsoever. I'm 24 years old. I never think about what I should eat, what I should drink, what I should wear. I don't think about a house. I don't think about money. Why? Because my whole life is thinking about others, and God just takes care of me. And you don't have to be an old person to figure that out. I'm not concerned and worried about the economy. I could care less. Because guess what? God takes care of me. And that's the way to live. No worries, no cares. Why? Because the creator of the universe is taking care of me. If, you, if I'm going to take care of others, God himself is going to take care of me. So let's not be indifferent. You know, I was thinking about people that they just, they think that they're, they're missing out on the Christian life and like, I'm not in my purpose, I'm not in my destiny. I'm not, I'm not feeling that joy, that peace that some of you believers talk about. Why? Because you're not doing anything. And the Christian life is not a stagnant, stale, sit-in-your-seat life. It's a life that's active and doing something. And your destiny is doing something. Your purpose is actually doing something. And that joy you've been longing for, you can keep sitting on your backside and thinking about yourself. It's not going to come because the joy comes from doing something. The peace comes from doing something. That love that we talk about comes from doing something. 
Why? Because we were created to do something. We weren't created to sit around. We were created on purpose to do something for others. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about everybody else who doesn't know Jesus. That's who it's about. You know what? If I wasn't going to talk like this on a Thursday night, I wouldn't even show up. If we could just have a play with it, let's let's eat some marshmallows and play some games. I wouldn't even show up on a Thursday night. I got something better to do. But let's talk about stuff that's actually going to change our lives. Something that's actually going to help you next week. Romans 12, 1. Now, before we read this, I just wanted to say, if there's some of you that are in here, which I have been here before, you're saying, you know what? I don't want to do anything. I'm comfortable. I enjoy coming to church. I enjoy living in prosperity. I don't feel like doing something. I don't feel like helping anybody else. I don't feel like serving God's purpose on this planet. Well, you haven't really met Jesus then. Because when you meet Jesus and you see Jesus, Romans 12, 1 is going to be the response that you have. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service to present your whole bodies, your whole lives, every part of you back to God. That's your reasonable service. That doesn't mean like it's a big deal. No, it's just like if you think common sense, God gave everything for me. I can give everything back to him. That's your reasonable response. So if you don't feel like that, then maybe you really haven't met Jesus. Maybe you really haven't really seen the love and the goodness of God. Because when you do, your reasonable response is going to be everything. Your reasonable response is going to give, I'm going to give everything, this whole body, a living sacrifice to you, God. I love the message says, I'm going to give to you my eating, my drinking, my job, my family, my friend time. Every part of my life is yours, not just Tuesdays and Sundays and Thursdays. No, it's all yours. If you gave everything for me, the least I can do is give it back to you. And you know what? You giving back to God pales in comparison to him giving to you. You serving him a whole lifetime pales in comparison to the price he gave for you. You think about he died for me. The least I can do is live for him. The least I can do. It's your reasonable service. It's your reasonable response. So if you look back at this message and you say, I just... I don't, I'm not motivated to do anything because we've all been there. You know, a lot of us have come out of services like this that, I, you know, I teach, you know, fired up, do something. So you're ready to do something the first couple of weeks, but then it wanes. Why? Because you're trying to do something just because somebody told you to do something. But you got to do something from a heart of, I want to. It's my reasonable response. I'm not even thinking about it. It's just happening. Why? Because I love Jesus. And I'm serving people and I'm giving to people and I'm loving people. And I'm not even thinking about it, doing anything. It's just coming out of me. That should be the heart and the attitude because you can come out of here and say, I'm going to do something. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to make him happy. Guess what? He's already happy with you because of Jesus. 
But you coming out of here saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try hard. I'm going to do something. It's only going to last a couple weeks. But if you, you do it from an attitude, which is it's my reasonable response, and I've seen the goodness of God and the grace of God, it's going to be a natural reaction that you're going to want to do something. And you're going to look back at your life and other people are going to say, I don't know how you gave so much. I don't know how you helped so much. I don't know how you served so much. I don't know how God used you so much. And you say, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just having a good time. I was just serving Jesus, loving Jesus. And they're saying, all these things you did. No, I wanted to. I wanted to. Not because I had to, because I wanted to. Let's look over at one last verse. Isaiah 6. You guys get anything tonight? Isaiah 6. Last verse. Isaiah 6 verse. Let's start in verse 8. It is uh, the Lord talking to Isaiah. It says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. But notice that the Lord said, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. You know, the whole thing is, after this message, you can say, I want to do something. That's the first step. Because God has got the call out to everybody. And the call is, who will go for me? But there's not many people that say, here I am, Lord, send me. You know, he's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Because some of us can say, God can't use me. I don't have that many gifts. I don't have that many talents. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. He's looking for somebody to say, here I am, send me. And you know what? If you have the attitude that I'm available to be used, God is the one who gives you the ability to do what he's called you to do. Everything in my life, I wasn't gifted enough, talented enough, smart enough to do, but I said, here I am, send me. So guess what? God takes my availability and he puts his divine ability on it. So don't use that excuse. I, I can't do it. I don't, have, I don't have the gifts, the graces to do it, the talents to do it. No, if you say, here I am, send me, God will give you the ability to do everything he's called you to do.